If somebody opened the door a crack, I shoved my foot so far through there and I just wiggled my way through. And do I think that's fair that I have to do that? Probably not. Would I do it again? Every single time. Welcome to season four of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we'll be talking with some fierce female leaders about things we really care about, including the gender gap and social justice. We hope that these conversations spark your passion and sense of agency to affect positive change. Are you ready? Episode eight, things we care about, doing uncommon good. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Welcome to today's summer version of the Confident Podcast. Yay. <laughs> okay, okay. I know, Liv, I know the news is depressing. Um, so I think that we 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 must do a service to our listeners and we have to talk about a couple of things that lift us up, that inspire us. So for me, it's summertime and books and exchanging good book recommendations with, with uh, my friends, specifically Maya Fry. She always gives me the best book recommendations. And I got to go visit some friends in Philly this weekend. So that was a very uplifting. It's always me. good to surround yeah. yourself with people who share your values yeah. and make you feel good. And the last thing that's lifting <laughs> me up right now is Lizzo's new album special. I'm obsessed. She's played it nonstop. Okay, but it's it's crazy good. It's the self-love anthem. Mm-hmm. It's it's really the whole album is about radical self-love, which I think we all need to. To, to be reminded of yeah. and this line in in the in the special song that's why I move the way I move and why I'm so in love with me you're basically Lizzo but if you haven't heard this album this song you must must listen and it will it will lift you up and you must embody it right you must you know channel that self-love that's right and then i think today's guest will also lift you of up of course yeah. um because she's such a go-getter and founded her own b corp business and and just made it happen and so let's get into the interview Carolyn Driscoll is the founder and CEO of Uncommon Good, a cloud-based software solution for nonprofits, community organizations, and small businesses. Carolyn launched the company after a 20-year career in both small businesses and scaling startups. In her free time, she travels, sails, gardens, and hikes with her dogs. Welcome to Confident, Carolyn. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Karen, we're so excited and I just have to, I'm going to dive in and put you on the spot because mm-hmm. right before we went live, you were talking about how you don't usually like to do this, put yourself out there. And I love that, that you are putting yourself out there. And that's something that we're always coaching our girls on and, you know, put yourself out outside of your comfort zone. So, um, but I promise this won't be painful today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we're so excited to talk to you um, today. Um, I know we had the chance to connect last week. And um, so let's just jump into it. And we always like to start with a standard question. Uh, can you tell us something that Google doesn't know about you? Um, I mean, is there anything Google doesn't know about us anymore, right? Is that maybe the the, the question? Um, you know, I had a gluten-free muffin for breakfast. I'm not sure they know that yet, but I feel like by the end of the day, they probably will. Um, but no, but on a more nuanced note, you know, I think it's interesting, right? We we've gotten so used to living our lives in a way where it's like there's no more privacy. But what we're lacking is the feeling behind it, right? It's like everyone can spit out facts on pretty much anyone they meet 30 seconds later just by doing a quick Google search. But they miss the emotions behind it, right? They miss a person's resilience or empathy or compassion and 
you know, I think for me, those are the much more important factors of what defines a person. Um, you know, as a, a female founder, um, I think for me, those are, those are the things that have brought me more success than what you're going to find on Google with a bunch of facts about, oh, I raised X amount of money or I did this in my career. Right. It's it's really it's the resilience and the strength behind it and that you can't find on Google. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. so well said. And it's like it's how how long do each of us spend on picking out those, you know, the, the short words that go on your LinkedIn you know, headline or your LinkedIn bio. And but how much of the full person yeah. is that really communicating. So, so I love that and agree with you. It's a surface, right? And I think that what's below the surface is really what matters. And I think those keywords that we all search to get to put on our LinkedIn or to put in our, you know, promo, whatever, um, they're, they're just a small piece of a much larger puzzle. I love yeah. it. So let's yeah. get into some of the puzzle. Yeah. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one piece of your puzzle is that you grew up in Saudi Arabia, which is very cool. <laughs> Can you just talk about how that influenced your career path? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think one of the best things that I have in terms of my education throughout life has been the opportunities I've had with travel. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from growing up in Saudi Arabia. Um, but I think beyond that, Saudi is a, a country that, you know, I think is grossly misunderstood and has a lot of challenges, particularly as a woman being in a country like Saudi. I can say that I had, you know, a different experience than a Saudi woman, but I still was exposed and was able to see and understand a lot about cultures that can oftentimes be largely misunderstood. Whether I agree or disagree with certain aspects of the culture, it does give you a better understanding. And I think that being able to take that, you know, under, like knowing that there's more to something um, is something that I gained from living over there. And knowing that, you know, I learned a lot about meeting people where they're at because of it, right? So Saudi is a conservative country, but yet you can also say that in the last 50 years, they have progressed substantially relative to where they started. Um, are they where they should be in terms of equality and all of these other things? Absolutely not. But yet I look at certain things that are happening in this country and it's going in the opposite direction. And yet here's this country that's fundamentally behind us moving forward. Um, and so I think understanding that and meeting people where they are and having some patience for that is something that I learned a lot about. And I think that's helped me a lot in my career is being able to work with a lot of different people and, you know, a lot of different mindsets. And rather than understanding of or saying that, well, this is how I see the world. So therefore, you don't see it that way. You're wrong. Right. And having this sort of solipsist, excuse me, solipsistic viewpoint on life it's allowed me to um, have a much broader and more open-minded perspective as I do things. I, and I agree. I think that's yeah. so cool just to be open and inclusive. Um, and it's fascinating. And I'm curious, like, so growing up in Saudi Arabia and specifically on women's rights. So because you have that perspective, do you find yourself that you're more appreciative of where, you know, the, of women's rights in the U.S. or more demanding because you know that we can do better. I'm, I'm just so curious. I, I think I'm more demanding at this point. I know we can do better, right? And I think that in light of recent news, whatever side of the line that you choose to land on, it's still, you know, 
we're moving in the wrong direction, in my opinion. And I'm not afraid to say that. And I, I think we can do better. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, but it's, it's a, you know, it's scary, right? Like, I think it's really quite terrifying and I'm grateful because I have opportunities that are built on the backs of those that came before me. Right. I mean, I get to start my career at a certain point that 50 years ago, women didn't get to do. And I think it's more important now than ever to continue pushing that starting line forward so that those that come after me have more opportunities than I do. And it's unfortunate that in light of certain things that are going on, it feels like we're getting pushed back again. And so I think, yeah, more demanding. I We need to fight now more than ever. We need to be louder now more than ever. And you know, I, I want to be a part of what pushes things forward. I don't want to be a part of what is complacent and allowing things to either stay where they are or go backwards. Yeah, no, I love I that. I love that so much. I think you're just like so eloquently some of the <laughs> things that I've been feeling recently. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I love your perspective on just growing up um, outside of the U.S. and how that's helped you be become a more open, inclusive yeah. leader. And I agree with that, too. I mean, I grew up in the U in the U.S., but have always believed in the power, the transformative power of travel and getting outside of your zip code and getting outside of your country. And I had the opportunity when I was working at GE, I literally traveled the world. And, um, you know, I, I just think that it, it changes you as a person and it also it, it informs how you define like what a neighbor is and what a community is because yeah. for me it's not just like you know today we live in new canaan but i don't define community by the new canaan zip code right i mean i define community by all of my sisters everywhere and um and i, I think that's you know it's an important um, perspective in life to really be an open inclusive leader in that way yeah. and it's it's we're lucky too right because when you do have the opportunity to travel, I think you get to see how big the world is and just also how many differences and similarities we have, right? And how we can learn from both of those things and that there's far more common ground than we we expect, yeah. which is amazing. But then on top of that, we have the luxury of living in a time when, you know, with the internet, things like that, we can connect beyond what our local community is. And so our community can be so much bigger. And it's, you know, one of the many positive things of the internet. I mean, there's a lot of not so positive, but it is one of the great things. Um, and that now, even if you don't have the luxury of being, and I, it is a luxury, right? Travel is an absolute luxury. And I do not discredit that for one second. I'm, I consider it to be the best gift I've ever received. Um, and a lot of people don't have that opportunity, but fortunately now you can connect with people outside of your community if you so choose. And I think that's a really wonderful thing. That's yeah. a great point. Yeah. So talking about technology and the internet, um, let's let's uh, pivot and talk about your business, Uncommon Good. So can you just tell us a little bit about the inspiration to start up your own business? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always been a, a you know an entrepreneur, and I've I've had a business prior to Uncommon Good. Um, I had a career shift in my 30s, and that sort of ended up pushing me on the path to starting Uncommon Good. Um, you know, it was largely inspired by personal experiences. Um, my father has Alzheimer's and my family is heavily involved with a, a small nonprofit where my parents now live, which is in Cape Cod. And, uh, you know, in my exposure and involvement with them, both as, you know, as recipient of their services, because they deal primarily with helping families navigate the disease. So on a very human level, you know, they're not doing drug research, they're not doing, you know, it's really very human. 
Um, and the hats that they wear to run this organization, which is something I'm sure you're very familiar with at Live Girl, they just, there's, you lose count, right? Um, and it's just incredible to watch how much they take on and how, you know, true they stay to the passion and essence of the organization. And despite the fact that operations and all of these other things really can be quite cumbersome. Um, and having had some experience in building technology and working with other small startups, I quickly realized that, you know, technology is something that can really break down barriers and be a solution. But a lot of the solutions that currently existed for nonprofits, particularly of a certain size, you know, sort of a million dollars or less, or, you know, not large organizations, I realized that there was this whole gap in technology, technological solutions for smaller organizations. So, you know, technology that didn't require a huge learning curve, um, that you could get up and running the same day. You didn't have to go through like five different sales calls and a bunch of onboarding calls to be able to utilize, you know, donor databases that were manageable, um, things that you could have a volunteer come in and easily use uh, that is digestible. And so knowing that you could do that, I decided to build it. And, you know, beyond that, I think one of the other barriers that I found is that a lot of the existing solutions could quickly become cost prohibitive. Um, and you've got 80% of nonprofits operating on a budget of a million dollars or less. So forcing them to spend a large percentage of their budget on their technology just seems a bit ridiculous. And then beyond that, a lot of it would be kind of pieced together with different softwares, right? So you're kind of using, you know, a graphic design software to do all your marketing collateral. You're using, you know, some sort of fundraising platform. You're using another donor database or you're using Excel. So having it all in one place, um, not only is economically efficient, but it's incredibly time efficient. Um, so I was able to utilize both my experience working in tech, um, as well as my exposure to the needs of these organizations to come up with a solution that I, you know, I'm personally very proud of. Um, and that, you know, we, I was very fortunate to be able to get funded and to build. It's so, so incredible. And I have to say as a nonprofit founder, I a hundred percent relate mm -hmm. and agree with your kind of landscape analysis. <laughs> Just your solutions orientation on that is is pretty cool. I mean, most people <laughs> would say, okay, yeah, there's a you know there's I, you know there's a problem with the IT platform available for nonprofits, but like <laughs> I don't know how many people would actually then be able to go out, you know, and, and raise the it, you know yeah. the, the venture capital funding and hire the right people and the right team to to build a superior product. So that's that's incredible. Thank you. Well, you know, it's funny that the industry is significantly larger than people realize. Right, like the nonprofit industry is, it's 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 a third vertical in terms of an economy. Right, I think it's what it's two point two trillion dollars a year as an industry. Right, I mean it's massive, and there's a huge need for solutions, affordable, easy to use solutions. Right, I mean, I think people forget that nonprofits are businesses. Right, right? like right. And, and deserve the same tools and resources that any business should have. Right here, yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> right, but like, especially in a day and age where like the, the gap between, you know, we're losing sight in this country of small businesses and medium-sized businesses. And we've, we've kind of swung to this whole side of, on you know, enterprise level solutions, right? But this country was founded and built on small and medium-sized businesses. And so I want to be part of the solution that provides resources that allow those organizations to thrive so that, you know, we don't continue to see them being diminished. 
Incredible. Yeah. And incredible that you founded Uncommon Good in March 2020. Is <laughs> all now as the global pandemic was just beginning. How did yeah? How did this affect your business plans and everything? You know, it's sort of. I gotta say, I, I was lucky. It didn't affect me as much as it probably should have. Um, you know, I was. I distinctly remember I was actually out in California in February during leap year. So it was leap year 2020, right? And I was out in California, and I remember flying out there for for work for a consultancy thing. And I think there was like one person wearing a mask. And I remember like I got there, and you know, I was meeting up with some other colleagues, and we were sort of laughing of like, "Oh, this is ridiculous. Like, this isn't going to go anywhere." And I had just sort of secured my first uh, funding. And so I was kind of like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, got back from California and two weeks later, the entire world shuts down. And you're just like, what just happened? Like head spinning, right? And I mean, I live in Connecticut, but I, I ended up going up to the Cape so that I could stay with my parents to help with my father because, you know, all of a sudden you couldn't have caretakers. And I thought, oh, I'll be here for two weeks. Like, this is nothing, right? I mean, mind you, I hadn't lived at home since I was 14 because I went to boarding school. So all of a sudden I'm living with my parents and, you know, juggling, helping with my father's illness and, you know, starting a company. And, you know, three months later, I'm still there. It's like, what is going on? Um, but, you know, for us, I think we, we did get lucky, you know, because we were funded and so much of it was tech build. So we weren't out in the market yet. Um, I think it probably would have been a different story had that been the case, but maybe not, because I also think that being, a, you know, a cloud-based solution and being one that really is tailored towards smaller organizations and, and things like that, we probably would have been okay, because I think that's something that continued to grow in need during the pandemic. Um, so yeah, so I think, again, I got lucky, but do I think it was, you know, perhaps probably certain, we, we hit certain challenges we would not have faced had we not had a global pandemic. But look, I think that was just, you know, that's, that's the nature of a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it, 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 it's amazing, like how, like calm you are about this. Oh, yeah, yeah it, kind, it may have affected us. Yeah, but like, you still had to build your team and launch a product during a pandemic. And I hope that I hope that you're darn proud of yourself yeah. for doing it. <laughs> you know, I think I'm I'm grateful more than anything, right? Like I'm certainly proud. I'm incredibly proud of our team, and I'm certainly grateful. And you know, we've obviously had multiple iterations in the short two years that we've grown. You know, even from outsourcing technology to you know hiring an internal team, things like that. But ultimately, you know, again, I think we are a cloud-based solution, right? We are, and I've, again, always had a global mindset. So for me, working remote seems like wonderful, right? Because all of a sudden you're like, wow, I can do this from anywhere. Um, and I've always been a bit free-spirited and probably never been one that like really desired working in an office. Um, so I, I personally, from my personality, it actually was a kind of the pandemic part at no, but like the, the freedom to, you know, sort of build a company with no barriers and no walls. Right. Like, I mean, when it came to hiring, I wasn't limited to who was in my area and who could drive to work every day. I got to really look at who was going to be the best fit as a, you know, as a part of my team. And so it really opened things up. Um, and yes, I definitely would have preferred to not do it during this time period. It was certainly a lot of stress, um, but it's going to be stressful no matter what you do when you start a company. And, and you mentioned the funding and I'd love to dive into that um, for a minute because um and you also said that so 
company. <laughs> like, yeah, we got the funding. But actually, I mean, it's a well-known fact that female-founded companies are very underfunded and only about 2% of venture capital in the U.S. goes to female-founded companies. So can you just talk about, you know, how that process was for Uncommon Good and how you were able to break through that? Yeah, you know, there's probably a bigger story there and I'm happy to share it. Um, but I agree, right? It's sort of and then it's sort of interesting too, if you think about it. I think they I think it was like first round capital or something, and they they did a, a report basically stating that their female founded companies outperformed their male portfolio companies by something like 63%. Right. I mean, it's sort of nuts when you think about it. Um, and even going through the process of raising funds, the questions that are typically asked of female entrepreneurs are very different than that asked of, of male entrepreneurs, right? And I think that's something we should address. But beyond that, I also think that, you know, 50 years ago, I wouldn't have even stood a chance of getting funding. So, like, should we be further along? Absolutely. And like, when I'm 90, I want to be, you know, 50% of, you know, 50-50 female male funded. So again, I think it's important for us to keep pushing forward. Um, you know, I think my backstory is a little interesting on how I got here. I, I actually, I was a Pilates instructor and I had a Pilates studio and I had a client who, you know, had been coming to me for years and I'd gotten to know well, um, he worked in private equity and, you know, we were talking about this project that he was doing and I sort of, you know, put my two cents in and he was like, oh, you sort of know something about this. And I've always been a curious person. I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, you should take on the project management for this particular thing. And I was like, okay. Um, and he said it as a complete joke, really. Right. But I was like, why not? Right. Like I'm kind of, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing for a long time. I've had a successful business, but I am kind of looking for a change. And it was, completely out of left field. But I said, yes. Right. And I, and he said it as a joke. And I think then he almost was like, hmm, all right, like you want to go, go in an interview, right. Go to this meeting and you know, fine. So I went and I mean, I'd never even been in a boardroom. Um, so, you know, marched myself into the city, went to this meeting at, you know, kind of just did what I needed to do and ended up getting a job, um, as a consultant with them in something that, I, you know, had never done. Um, but I think what I was willing to do was whatever I needed to do, right? And I was willing to say yes to any opportunity, even if it was presented as a joke. Um, you know, and I think that that's important. And then beyond that, I was willing to work. I was willing to, and if I didn't know something, I learned. Right. You know, if I didn't have access to something, I figured out how to get access and I was resourceful. And in doing so, this same person I continued to work with he got to see what I was capable of, right? And it opened a lot of doors and I took advantage of every single one of them. And so by the time I had this idea for a company, I had proven myself to a group of investors. And, you know, beyond that, the, you know, so I, I, I remember when I went to him, I said, you know, I have this idea. I'd really like to present it to you, but I really want you to take me seriously, right? Like, I don't want you to do this because you're just going to be like, oh, okay, you know, you, I want to really do this the same way that you would have anyone come in and pitch to you. And he said, okay, and he did. And I'm internally grateful for that. Um, so it was, it was him and a couple other people and they agreed and, and they gave me a very small amount of seed funding. I, I raised about $150,000 for the first round. Um, and, you know, I knew I had a lot to prove with that money. And so I decided to punch above my weight, right? And I decided to over deliver. And I think 
it's unfortunate that as women, we really have to do that still, but we do. And I think it's also really important that we do because by doing that, I'm going to make it easier for whoever comes behind me. Um, so, you know, when I had my idea, I built out, you know, probably 10 X what they expected. And so as a result, I, you know, I was able to secure significantly more capital to continue fundraising, but I did get lucky because a lot of it came through the network that I had built, right? A lot of it came through, yes, I live in an area where there's a lot of investors. And so geographically I'm lucky. And I decided to take advantage of those opportunities. And if somebody opened the door a crack, I shoved my foot so far through there and I just wiggled my way through. And do I think that's fair that I have to do that? Probably not. Would I do it again? Every single time, you know? And I think that most people would have said, oh, she's a Pilates instructor. No, like crazy, right? But the truth is I had more experience running a business than most people, right? Because as a small business owner, I knew what it was like to wear multiple hats. I knew what it was like to dive in and do something and to not say, nope, that's not in my lane. And I think that's what makes a good entrepreneur, right? You have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and just do whatever needs to be done. Yeah, I, it's amazing yeah. advice. And I hope all of the young female entrepreneurs out there are listening to this interview because I think that's like a masterclass and 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 breaking through. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, just like the resiliency, the determination. It truly is amazing. Thank you. So Uncommon Good is a certified B Corp. Could you explain to our audience who might not know what this means and then also why this certification is important to you? Sure. You know, so B Corps are, I think they're gaining in popularity, right? I, and again, I think we've gotten to a point, particularly in this country, where capitalism has kind of, the pendulum has swung to such an extreme, right? And so what being a B Corp means is that you do not put profit over purpose. So your purpose is where your truth lies. And so how you handle that, whether it's in you know social or environmental performances and public transparency and accountability, um, that comes before you know your, your responsibility, your fiduciary responsibility of profit. It's still a for-profit company, absolutely. You want to be as profitable as possible, but not at the expense of what is right. Um, and it was really important to me because, you know, again, especially building a tech company in, you know, for nonprofits, right? So a social impact company is, is what it was without even trying to be one, right? Like I didn't set out to say, I'm going to go, you know, found a social impact company. Like it just happened to be that what I truly was passionate about building naturally fit that. Um, and so it was an easy fit for us to become a B Corp. And I think that, you know, we probably could have just gone ahead and not done it, but I like that it, it holds us accountable. Um, right. And it, it says that we take it seriously and that we're not just going to say, we're going to do this. It's we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Like we're going to, you know, we're going to stand by our belief system. Um, and so I think, and it puts you into, you know, a larger community of like-minded people which I think is nice. And I do think that we have to, you know, continue to keep trying to move the needle back to a more balanced place. Mm -hmm. And so helping, you know, to grow a community of organizations that do believe in this more balanced approach is, is important and something that I definitely want to be a part of. So B Corp and B Lab. So it's a certification that you go through. Um, it's a B Lab certification. It's it's a pretty tenuous situation, actually. It took up over a year. Um, and it's, you know, it's a lot. They they dig into everything. And I think that's great, right? Because it does, it holds you accountable. 
Yeah. And I think that accountability is, is really necessary these days. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and sure. I hope that more and more customers um, really are aware and take a look at the, you know, companies they're, they're doing business with and give priority over yeah. B Corps. Cause I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. And in, in just like the way you described it is, yeah. it just makes so much <laughs> sense. Right. Thank you. Oh, man, um, there's so much to learn from you, Carolyn, and this is such a great conversation. I know we could keep going, but um, just transitioning, we always like to end our podcast with some fun questions so our viewers get to know you a little bit better. So it's kind of a speed round. And so our first one is a full, fill in the blank. Okay. Is um, my mantra is dot, dot, dot. Um, I am evolving. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> I like that. It's kind of like a variation of Michelle Obama's becoming theme. Right? <laughs> I, uh, I think that's that's yeah. a great one. All right. Next one is who is the leader you admire most? Um, currently, maybe Sarah Blakely. Uh, so she's the founder of Spanx. Started Spanx with what five thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, I think she just sold the majority share to Blackstone, I believe, for like one point two billion, which is great, right? I mean, talk about a success story. But I think what I admire most about her is she was actually the first female billionaire to sign a Warren Buffett's giving pledge. Oh, that's awesome. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a great one yeah. to call out. And the last question is, what are you obsessed with right now? It can either be like a summertime obsession or just... I mean, it is summer, right? (laughs) As somebody that grew up in a warm climate, I certainly struggle with the New England weather. Um, So, you know, I love being outdoors. I think it's like the way that I clear my head. And so I love that it is summertime. Um, Yeah, I I love being outside right now, although whether the summer is questionable. (laughs) Yeah. Well, awesome. It's, I really enjoyed our conversation and there's so much to be learned from your story. So I'm really glad we had this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. This was really great. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Thank you.